0: So like Matt said, we've uh, we've known each other for a few years now going back. And um, we met at a time when I was really wrestling around what God was doing with my future. So I used to sell real estate in Ames. We used to uh, own the, the Kona Ice truck in Ames. Any kids in here that have ever had a Kona Ice? Little kids? Well, my kids raise their hands, of course. And so we were trying to figure out what was going on. i had been praying that 1002 prayer, trying to see what God was going to be doing with our lives. And I want to warn you, that's a really dangerous prayer because I started praying that for other people. Uh, and in the process of that, felt God saying, no, I've called you to this. And so I started taking some CST classes. And so that's where I met Matt, partially kind of through all that different stuff. And so uh, he gave me an opportunity to come preach here a little over two years ago. Uh, it was really that time of really being able to to be here, be with you, that I really had that confirmation of that call towards ministry. Uh, we ended up up at a church in Northeast Iowa for the last two years, uh, and then about three months ago moved from Northeast Iowa to Marshalltown, where we're planning on planting a church, God willing, fall of 2020. And so we are super excited about what's going on, uh, all that kind of stuff, even as a Paul today is going to be talking to the, this church in Philippi saying of how like when he thinks about them, he just his heart gets joyful, and that's really how I think about Stonebridge as well, just that the fond memories that I have of being here, being with not necessarily maybe you specifically if you weren't here two years ago, but with your body, with your church, uh, just in that journey of what God's been doing in our life as well. Uh, so with this church plant, we're super excited. We have over 125 people adults either in our committed or potential list, which is an awesome problem to have. We've got 75 people that signed up for our four connection groups. So you can do the math and realize that that doesn't work super good. Uh, So like Matt said, be praying that God is raising up more laborers, more connection group leaders specifically, to really be able to grow the opportunity to reach our community through that. Uh, God is doing some awesome stuff there, and we're so happy to be there. Uh, My family and I moved there, like I said, three months ago, so my my wife, we've been married for 12 and a half years, and we've got four rambunctious kids. Uh, Miles is 11, Nora is 9, and then Peyton and Olivia are 7, so it's uh, M-N-O-P, if you weren't paying attention there, is the acronym for the kids. It started as a joke, and then it just kind of stuck. Um... But so yeah, we're we're excited to be in Marshalltown, excited to be a part of what's happening. And really, uh, like Matt was saying, our, our, our church of all the other Salt Network churches is going to have the most similar feel to Stonebridge. So there's just this kinship that we already feel with you guys here. We're going to be looking at the, the letter, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi today. You might be saying, I don't even know what a Philippi is. Where is this place at? Why is this important? Why are we spending time looking at this ancient letter trying to figure out how this applies to us today? Well, a lot of times it it helps to understand what is the background of what's happening? What's going on there in their town? How do we begin to understand how they received this letter so we can begin to understand how are we supposed to understand this letter? Because oftentimes if we skip how it meant to them and we just try to make some sort of 2019 application, we can completely miss what the biblical author is actually trying to say. So having a little bit of background and understanding of the letter can sometimes help us as we begin to understand what was going on there in their culture. So Philippi was this great Roman colony with high standing. It was the the gateway between Asia and Europe, which means that it had so many people passing through it, going both directions. It was almost like a little mini Rome in a way where there was this place that it was the center hub of everything that was going on. And so you had people, so many people of different backgrounds passing through, and different beliefs, and different conversations and questions about what is truth, what is this thing, and all of these different pieces going on there. So if you want to read a little bit more about the history of the church in Philippi, when you get home today, read in Acts chapter 16 gives the example and the story of Paul going to Philippi, and he began to go into the synagogues. He began to find people that were preaching, and he just began to preach the gospel message. He started to gather people together, and in the process of that, he started this little church. And because of that, because of what was happening, some people came, they imprisoned him, they beat him, and then they asked him, just leave our town, we don't want you here anymore. So Paul had to leave. But there was a small fledgling brand new little baby church there in Philippi that he left a couple of his friends back behind to help establish and get set up. And so Paul would regularly write letters back and forth to them. And this letter to the church in Philippi is one of those letters. Now, what's interesting is a lot of Paul's letters that he writes are actually, he's almost like coming in with a hammer, where he's kind of like, all right, you have this issue and we need to deal with it. So, if you're familiar with the letter to the church in Galatia, there's these issues of all sorts of false teaching that they're getting. There's this racial issues that are happening that he's trying to bring unity to. The letter to the the church in Ephesus, he's dealing with all these other things of trying to help there be unity within that body and how just these divisions, they shouldn't be there. But that's not the tone. In the letter of Philippians, it's actually more a tone of just joy. He's grateful for them. They've been sending gifts, they've been encouraging him throughout his ministry. Even now, he's writing this in his imprisonment, and he is so joyful whenever he thinks of this church. So, Paul's primary purpose then in writing this letter is to encourage a spirit of joy and unity in the believers. Like I said, Paul, even in himself, is sitting there in prison so you might be asking how can he be choosing joy in the middle of an imprisonment well it kind of depends on how do you think of joy if you're here last week as matt was concluding your series on the book of habakkuk that he was spending time really explaining what this working definition of joy is that you're that we're working with and it's that satisfaction and delight independent of circumstances I'm going to say it one more time. It's satisfaction and delight independent of circumstances. Now, notice the irony here. Paul, a guy that's in jail, in prison, in chains, is writing to a people that are free saying, hey, no matter what circumstances you have, choose joy. So they may be sitting home, watching Netflix, having all like the comfortable things of life. And he's kind of saying... No matter what's going on, we want to be choosing joy, which seems so uncharacteristic or or odd even almost. How is this guy choosing joy in his present circumstances? Well, well, joy is not based always on our present circumstances. We'll look at this together a little bit more as we start going in. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of Philippians. It's about in the middle of the New Testament. Uh, you're going to see the Gospels, Acts, Romans, and in the middle there's like these four small books that are tightly packed in. It's a General Electric Power Company, that helps you figure that out. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's like a little trick to be able to remember where those things are at. So if you find the General Electric Power Company, you're close. And so in Philippians chapter 1, Paul starts off with this little greeting, which a lot of times when you start a series like this, you kind of just brush over that, like greeting, okay, whatever, he's saying hello. I want to just slow down for a second and look at this together. So Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to miss something here. How did he address this letter? Did he address this letter, hey, to, uh, to you sinners in Philippi? Hey, to you people that can't keep your life together in Philippi? No, he addresses it to the saints in Philippi. You holy, set apart people, saints. I don't know how you often think of yourself, or even when you think of that word. Maybe your your background, or whatever church you grew up in. Maybe you have a confusion around this idea of saints. And I'm not talking about the the capital S saints of like the, the, that. Some churches will say like those people are like extra, super special people. not using the capital s saints i'm using the lower s saints that paul is using here which actually if you look through most of his letters his greetings are written to the saints in these different churches so paul is identifying the church as saints think about this for a second Uh, how often have you either said or heard somebody say i am nothing but a sinner saved by grace you guys heard that before It's only partially true. You see, you were a sinner. And now you have been saved by grace and God calls you a saint. That thing that you were is dead and gone. And now he views you through the lens of his son as holy, as set apart, as different. Now, why is that important? And why am I taking so much time focusing on this one word Because depending on how we view that, it changes our identity of how we understand ourselves. You see, if you think of yourself as a sinner, then when you sin, all you think is like, yep, I'm sinning. That's just because all I am is a dirty, rotten sinner. Versus if you recognize that your identity is as a saint. When you begin to sin, you recognize that that does not match anymore. When you have a brother or a sister in your life come alongside you and say, brother, sister, you are a saint and the sin does not fit anymore. You are no longer a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint that he views through the lens of his son. Our identity of how we think about that is so vastly different in those two things you to wrestle with that a little bit as you go out later today and just think about this idea of how do you view yourself are you just a sinner or are you one of god's holy precious people a saint in his church continue with me in verse 3 paul kind of shifts from the greeting and the beginning this thanksgiving and prayer for the people he says i thank my god in all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, it is, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. If you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Do I have any DIY project fans here? Do you, like, do your own projects or on Anybody? DIY people? So like one like hand hey, like I'm not willing to admit it. So I love starting DIY projects. I'm not so great at the finishing of the DIY projects, but I love starting DIY projects. I'm great with the destruction, I'm not so good with the construction that happens with those things. And so we just moved into our house three months ago, and there was a a honey-do list so long that it's just, it has taken me all this time, and I still have things going on. So if anybody's bored next Saturday, it'll be, no, I'm just kidding. But there's all of these these things, these unfinished projects that can begin to linger at times, and you start doing all these DIY projects, and you can have anxiety start to build about these these unfinished, uncompleted things that are just like, oh, man, every time I look at the fridge, I remember I still have to install that ice maker, or whatever things that you're working on. I finally got that installed. I just hired somebody. I couldn't figure it out. But anyways, there's just all of these things that you begin to think about that when you start thinking about those, it can almost just bring stress and dread, but think with me for a second of when you actually finish a project that joy that comes up that you just want to share with everybody other people don't even care people come over and you're like check out this new floor and they're like i don't care should i take my shoes off like whatever check out the new paint color in the living room you're like i don't know what it looked like before is that supposed to impress me like I i don't what what are you what are you doing here I remember my first woodworking project, my wife was starting to do some homeschooling and she really wanted a whiteboard and I figured if my wife wants a whiteboard for the homeschool room, she is getting a whiteboard and she's not just getting any off the shelf whiteboard, she's getting a whiteboard made by her man. So I started a DIY project, it was a great excuse to buy some new tools by the way. And so I start, like, I got the router table. I'm trying to figure out how do I do, like, this insert, set-in thing. I'm doing, like, craftsman-style trim around this whole thing. Got it stained, looking good. We got this thing done. It ended up on the wall. And for, like, the next three weeks, every single person that came through our house, I was like, "I I don't care. Forget about my kids. Forget about my family. Check out the whiteboard. Look at how awesome this thing looks. Take joy with me in this project that we completed. And do you realize that that's how God looks at you? You are God's DIY project. That he gets so excited about showing you off. Look at my son, look at my daughter, look at what they used to look like and look at what he well they're looking more like my son. Take joy with me in this project. Take joy with me in my son and my daughter. Because God is promising in this passage to complete a good work. Look at verse six again with me. He says, "And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now what is this good work that God has started in us? Well, it's, it's first of all, to work that God has started in us. And that's that seed of the gospel. I say it's the seed of the gospel because it's the gospel that saves us, and it's the gospel that continues to transform us. And God has begun this good work in us that he will continue. He has promised a completion by continuing to walk through that with us. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, okay, now, Steve, you've said that Paul is identifying us as saints. You said that God is promising this good work, this this completion. He's, He's given us this good work. Then answer me this, why do bad things happen to me? Maybe you're sitting here thinking that. You're thinking, okay, sure, there's this promise out there, but where was God when I was sitting in the hospital with my kid? Where was God when I lost my job? Where was God when my abuser was standing in front of me? God's promise here is a promise of completion. It is not A promise that your life will be perfect. I'm sure there are times where each one of us has felt like we had no hope. Times where there was nothing that was going on in our lives that felt like there was any sort of reason for joy. Times when you might have felt like God forgot about you. But if you notice... Beginning of that, he says, and I am sure of this, I am confident without a doubt, I don't question this, I don't wonder, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, but when? At the day of Christ Jesus. That means that not every day from the day you surrendered your life to Christ at the foot of the cross until that that future day where we're in eternity with him, not every day in between those is going to be perfect. Not every day in between those is going to be sunshine, butterflies, and rainbows. But what Paul is saying is that if you look back at our definition of joy, it is satisfaction and delight independent of circumstances. Now, how, how can Paul do that? How can Paul say that as he's in chains or as you're going through a tough situation? How is that even fathomable that we can choose joy in the midst of those tough circumstances? You see, I don't think Paul is taking joy in his present circumstances. He's looking at a future day, the future day of Christ Jesus. I'll give you a little spoiler alert. Look at chapter 2, starting in verse 9 with me. Paul writes this little hymn, this little poem of this future glory that Christ is going to have. And in verse nine, he says, therefore, God has exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. See, Paul is looking forward to a day when Jesus Christ has been exalted and sits on his throne. No matter what you are going through today, no matter what Paul was going through at that moment, he is looking forward to the future day where Jesus wins. I've read the back of the book and every single time Jesus wins, Jesus will be on his throne And all of this stuff, all of those difficult things that we've gone through here will finally pass away. And that promise of bringing us to perfection, bringing us to that completion will be completed. And standing with Jesus will be you and I, the saints in Christ who are at Philippi, who are at Boone, who are at Marshalltown, and all the corners of the earth, and we will have the opportunity to to kneel before Jesus Christ, our King, on His throne, and we'll be able to sing, "Holy, holy, holy," is the Lord God Almighty, who did not go back on His promises. That doesn't always make today easier. It doesn't always make what we're going through or what we have gone through easier. But remember that Paul is not saying take joy in your current circumstances. He's saying choose joy because of the promise that God has in you to bring you to completion in that day. And on that day, did you notice that it's every creature above earth in the heavens, on earth and below the earth, will bow, crying out that Jesus is the king. That is where our hope comes from. That is where our joy comes from. Is that future day. Paul is working through this process to work the people, work that church through to something. Continue in verse 9 with me, if you will, back in chapter 1. There's three things he's asking the church to grow in. Love, knowledge, and discernment. Maybe if you think of love, one of the most iconic verses of love, where Jesus is asked, "What are the what's the greatest commandment? And he responds, love God and love people. So he's, Paul, again, is, is calling us back to this idea of love God and love the people around you. Love the church and keep going and love the other people that are around you. And as you continue to love, as you grow in this idea of love, he's calling us to grow in knowledge as well. Now, how do you begin to grow in knowledge of God? It's really through the intake of Scripture, reading the Bible, praying, and having some of those spiritual disciplines to grow in your relationship and the knowledge of God. And when you have that knowledge, you're able to have discernment. So just yesterday, I had a couple of guys come over to my house to help me fix a few doors that I had no idea how to fix. We had a couple of doors upstairs in our house that wouldn't close and wouldn't latch. Luckily, one of the guys that came over had the knowledge of how to do that project and had the discernment to be able to see what needed to happen in order to fix that. Without knowledge, you can't have discernment because you don't know what you're actually discerning about. Now Paul is saying these things and he's saying this love knowledge and discernment so that it's kind of this this transition phrase that I like to call the theological sausage maker everybody loves sausage right nobody likes to see how sausage is made but most people like to eat the sausage and so this so that phrase that you see in the beginning of verse 10 it's so that You may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, how do we become pure and blameless? Because I don't know about you, but I still screw up. I still struggle. How do we become pure and blameless then? Well, Paul is saying as we as we grow in those things, it's so that we can become pure and blameless. So he's not calling us to perfection because that won't happen in this earth not for you and me, but he's calling us to rely on the one who is perfect. A few weeks ago at Cornerstone Solomon was preaching and he, he was talking about the Old Testament, the how they would do all the different rituals and stuff. And he talked about when the lamb was brought to be slaughtered, it was the lamb that was inspected, not the one bringing it. That's the same thing that's true for you and I. You see, as Jesus is our lamb, as Jesus is our sacrifice, is brought, it is he that is perfect. He is the one that is inspected, not you and I. So we become pure and blameless because we are the bride of Christ. It's a similar terminology that you see in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul's giving instructions there to husbands and wives and husbands to love their wives, like Christ loved the church, so that he can present them blameless and pure. It's the same terminology that's kind of wrapped up in this whole thing. And the ending and result of that, that you see in verse 11, is that we receive our righteousness through Christ, not so that we can keep it for ourselves, not so that we can say, Hey, look at how awesome I am. Look at how righteous I am. No, we receive the righteousness through Christ so that we can then turn around and give that back to God. It says that we're supposed to return that that glory to God and praise God. Now, as you begin to wrestle with this idea of this promise of completion, this whole idea that God is coming together and saying here, How do we really begin to wrestle with this? How do we begin to understand this? Maybe you're new here today. Maybe today is the first time that you've stumbled into a church in a long time. Maybe you're at the end of your rope and you're feeling like, man, I don't have any hope left. And I know there's this place down the road. They talk about this guy named Jesus. I don't even know who he is. I'm just going to go walk in there today and see what happens. Maybe that's you Today, maybe you're here and you're listening to this guy named Paul talking about how he can choose joy in the midst of being in prison. And you're thinking, I don't get this. This just doesn't make any sense. And if that's you today, and if you're wondering where that joy can come from, I want to tell you it is only in surrendering your life to Christ at the foot of the cross. See, there's this gospel message, this good news. That God loved us enough that he sent his son to die for us. To be that sacrifice that we could not be. To live that perfect life that we could not live. To die that death we could not die. Because if we had died that death, we would have just died as sinners. But because of Christ and the righteousness that he has. He has fixed all things. And it is that truth, it is that place that we begin to get the hope that we have, that we begin to find the joy that we have. And if that's new to you today, if that's something where it's like, I don't even understand what you're saying, grab somebody after the service and say, help me understand this more. Maybe you've been around for a while. Maybe this whole gospel thing is old hat to you and you're kind of in, you got your study Bible read and you're like, all right, teach me something, Mr. Smartman. Do you realize that it's that same gospel message that's gonna bring you to completion See, the gospel is not a door that we enter into Christianity through that we then forget about. The gospel is not something that we graduate out of. But the gospel, rather, is actually the means by which when we come to faith that we surrender our life to Christ, it's the gospel that is actually doing the transforming that is bringing us to completion. So even for us, those that have Christ living in us, it is still through the gospel that we find our hope that we can choose joy because of that promise of completion that we have in him. It's in that that we live in light of the gospel. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Imagine how your city would be transformed if you were able to choose joy in the midst of tough circumstances. Imagine you go back into work tomorrow. Maybe you've got a total junky job that nobody wants. Maybe all your coworkers are grumbling about your work. And you begin to cho- choose joy in the midst of a tough circumstance. Imagine the change that that will have on the people you work with. Imagine what it will look like if your neighbors begin to look at you and say, hey, my life is screwed up, I know sometimes your life is screwed up too, why are you joyful in the midst of this junk that we're in? And you can walk people through where that joy comes from. Now imagine lives being changed as you walk through tough circumstances in light of the promise that God will bring the good work he began to you in completion on that future day as we stand before God and we get to sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you, not in perfection, Lord, but we come before you in brokenness. God, we come before you as people... In